0: listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His Kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Last week we talked about freedom in Christ which really is the whole theme of the book of Galatians. Really the whole theme is that through Christ we're free. We're free from using the law as a way to gain status with God, free from having to obey in order to get to God and rather finding out that through Jesus Christ we are perfectly acceptable to God. But not only that, we learned last week, Paul kind of brings us in for the first time that we're actually free from ourselves meaning that we're free from obeying our selfish desires in order that we might be free to serve others and serve God. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to be talking about the gospel and your desires. Paul gets deeper into what we talked about last week. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get right into Galatians 5, 13 through 26. Lord, we just pray for your Spirit's presence and power. We thank you for the Word of God that was revealed and inspired by the Spirit of God. Because today we wanna be changed by the Spirit. We wanna come to have a better understanding of what the Holy Spirit does and see our lives have the power of Him in it. And so we pray that you would illuminate the Scriptures for us, that they might come alive in new ways in our minds and hearts and we might be changed and all God's people said Amen. Amen. Galatians 5 13 through 26 for you were called to be free brothers and sisters only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but serve one another through love for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement love your neighbor as yourself But if you bite, devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of God. What do you want? What do you desire? What does your heart really, really long for? There's a great experiment that I love and it's been reproduced so many times, but it's the marshmallow experiment that's done with little kids. And you sit a child down at the table and you give them one big marshmallow and you put it right in front of them. And you say, you can eat this one big marshmallow now or if you can hold off on eating that marshmallow and wait just five minutes When I come back, I will bring another marshmallow and you can eat two marshmallows. And if you look this video up on YouTube, it's been done a bunch of times, but it is hysterical to watch these children for five minutes try and hold off their longings, try and hold off their desires for this one marshmallow. They will put their head down on the table and just stare at it. You know, some will like, Stick their tongue out and just kind of like touch it with their tongue, and you can see that there's cer- certain children that like know it's a, it's a huge battle, and they're like talking to themselves because they just want that marshmallow. Because human beings were creatures of desire, we want things, we long for things, we have deep desires that are in our hearts, and advertisers know this. So when you look at an advertisement, they're not going for your head. They're not trying to convince you logically about a product. They're going after your longing and your desires. They want you to go, I have to have that. It will make my life better. And so the key to good marketing is getting into people's longings and what they want and what they desire because we are creatures of desire. And right now, our culture, our culture is wrestling with what it means to have desires. What does it mean to have desires? And what our culture is wrestling with right now is saying our desire shapes who we are. In other words, what we want becomes our identity. Our desire shapes our identity and our culture's wrestling with right, that right now, but for the Christian, the Christian sees things differently. It's almost the opposite the Christian looks at their identity given by God through the gospel and allows that God-given identity to shape their desires and how they look at their desires. Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you are God's child. He loves you. Jesus gave himself for you. You are children of promise. The Father will never leave you nor forsake you. That's your identity. And as a child of God, you're called to ground your identity not in what you desire, but in what God says about you in the gospel. And as you get that identity from the gospel, then you're called to look at your desires from that gospel lens. You're called to let your identity shape how you view your desires. And what that means is every Christian, every average Christian, and just so you know, everyone is an average Christian, every average Christian has a conflict of desire. We want God, and we also want the things that God says we should not want. We have a conflict of desire, but we also have a conflict with desire. We are constantly wrestling with what's coming out of our hearts and wondering, should I do this? Should I listen to what's coming up out of me? Or should I listen to God who loves me? Desire is not bad, but it's broken. It's broken just like everything else ever since Eve desired the fruit. Our desires are broken. Another way to say it is sin has gotten into our DNA. So our bodies naturally decompose and die, which was not part of God's plan. But at the same time, in our DNA is now this thing that tells us to do what you want, when you want, and how you want to do it, rather than listen to what God says. And the Bible calls that thing, the flesh, the fallen human nature. It's not talking about your skin or your body. It's not saying that your skin or your body is bad. It means that part of you that always says, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to listen to what God has to say. And your flesh talks to you without you really even know it. Actually, your flesh talks in you so that you just naturally think it's coming out of you. And it says, just have that one more drink. Just say that thing that's a little bit divisive, it's okay. Just look out for yourself. Don't worry about those people. Your flesh talks in you. And so you think that it's just part of you, but the Bible says your flesh is broken. Because your flesh does not, your flesh is always trying to get you to desire something that's not from God. The good news is though, that before Jesus Christ, if you're in Jesus Christ before God, your flesh is not your identity before God. That should be good news if you know that there's corruption in you. That corruption in you is not how God sees you from his perspective, he sees Jesus. At the same time, that flesh, that human desire is at war with God's perspective. And when God looks at you and he sees Jesus as your identity, he also looks at you and he wants you to become really more like Jesus. And so he gives you a power to go to war with those sinful desires. And that power is not a pep talk. It's his presence in you. It's the Holy Spirit that we sang about earlier. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's not a force, it's not an energy. He is a person. Nebiyah Qureshi says, just like you and I are human beings, but we're not the same person. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God beings, but not the same person. They're each different persons. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And look what it says in verse 16 and and 17 about him. I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire. the desire of the flesh for the flesh desire. what is against the spirit and the spirit desire. what is against the flesh these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you the holy spirit enters in when you become a christian He regenerates and renews you. And his goal, the reason he's in you is to make you more like Jesus Christ. God's so committed to you becoming like Jesus that he put the Holy Spirit in you to shape you and change you and transform you. And he's permanently in you if you know Jesus. A lot of people talk about, I went to church and I caught the spirit today. What the Bible more communicates is the spirit catching you. In other words, he doesn't want you to just have a feeling on Sunday. He wants to transform you all week. He lives in you and he wants to change you and he works in the realm of desire. He works in the realm of desire. He's not just into behavior modification. He works in the realm of your heart's desires and what you want and what you long for so that you would become a new person who really desires The things of God rather than the things your flesh tells you that you want. And what that means is Christians are really weird people. Christians are really weird people. Here's why. You're no different than anybody else. What comes up out of your heart is just like everybody else. You want things you shouldn't want. You're selfish. You're controlling. You don't want to listen to God. You're just like everybody else. And yet at the same time, you're a supernatural person meaning that the supernatural presence of God lives in you, empowering you to say no to those things of the flesh and yes to the things of God. And changing your desires so that you actually don't want the things your heart tells you you want. You really do want to become more like Jesus. Because the flesh wants to work things out in you. It wants you to keep holding on to those desires that feel natural and normal to us as human beings. But from God's perspective, those works of our flesh, those desires of our fallen human nature are not normal. They're obviously wrong from his perspective. Look at what he says in verse 19 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Why, why are they so obvious from God's perspective? Because each of these things, each of these desires and works of the flesh is actually an attempt to live life disconnected from God. So when you desire sexuality apart from God, it brings sexual immorality, promiscuity. It means I want sexuality on my terms. I'm not gonna listen to God's design. I'm, I'm gonna not have sex God's way, but my way. I'm not gonna listen to his design for husband and wife and the covenant of marriage, I'm gonna do my own thing. It's desiring sexuality apart from God. Or what about this when you desire spirituality apart from God? Sorcery. God says that Jesus has broken through the spiritual realm into our world. And then God sends the Holy Spirit from the spiritual realm into our hearts. But sorcery is a way of saying, I don't care what God has done. I'm going to break through into the spiritual realm on my own. And I don't know what's behind that veil, but I'm gonna tap in and try and control it on my own. Sorcery is what happens when we desire spirituality apart from God's design through Jesus Christ. Jealousy is what happens when we desire identity apart from God. I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where you feel like someone else's success actually takes away from you like they stole your identity to the place that they got and what they have in their life, something about their life is taking away from you. That only happens because we have not found our identity in God, but rather an identity in something that someone else has and we want it. Jealousy is what happens when we desire identity apart from God and we see our identity in our successes and failures. And so when someone else is successful, we think it's robbed us of our identity. What about anger and ambition? Anger and ambition come from a desire to control like God rather than living under the reign of God. And drunkenness and carousing, it's, it's a desire to use God's gifts apart from God's design. So God doesn't say that alcohol's bad. He says, don't get drunk. But when we take God's gifts and we use them the way that we want, it is a desire to use God's good gift apart from God's plan. These are the works of the flesh. And to us, it's just natural and normal. But from God's perspective, this is obviously not wrong. It's a desire to live life apart from God where we are king. And scripture says it's obvious from his perspective I heard a story about a drug raid in Harlem that happened last week. And they broke into this apartment that was sort of like this drug storage apartment. And they found these bricks of drugs taped together with a picture of Pablo Escobar on the bricks. What are those? Not drugs. No, it's obvious when they went into the apartment Guys, you gave it away. You didn't even try and hide it. It's obvious that this is something illegal. And in the same way, when we in the works of the flesh, from God's perspective, it is obvious that these are attempts to live life apart from Him. And Paul warns us what happens when we live with our flesh ruling our life. In verse 21, I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice, in other words, make a life pattern, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul's saying is not that we don't have slips into sin. What Paul's saying is not that we don't struggle, What Paul's saying is that for someone who lives with their flesh ruling and reigning their life, it's an ongoing pattern of rejecting God as king. Then their deepest desire isn't actually to say no to their flesh and yes to God, their deepest desire is to say yes, this is what I really want. And as Christians, we have learned that this only brings destruction and what brings healing is submitting our lives to God as king. And Paul's warning us, look, if you're over here and you're allowing your flesh to rule and reign and you're not making any attempt to turn away from it, don't be confused. You're not living under the reign and rule and kingship of God, but rather you're living life apart from God. Now the Christian struggles, every Christian struggles because everything of the flesh, it still looks good. It still looks good. You still want it and I do too. But the Bible tells us that the spirit helps us by crucifying our flesh and its evil desires. The spirit is in us to help us say not just no, but death to the things that my heart wants that are not the things of God. In verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now that's not to mean we're mean to our bodies, but rather we examine our desires and say, does this line up with what God says he wants or does it not? Because if it does not, I am dead to it and alive to God and what he desires for me. But yet, we still swivel, don't we? How do you crucify the flesh? Well, I think one way that's helpful is to be honest with yourself. If you, look at the, if you look at the desires of your flesh and you begin to start seeing things from your perspective rather than God's perspective. So God will say evil and you'll go, it's not that bad. It's not that bad if I do this, if I do it just once. That's the desires of the flesh coming up and you're adopting your old perspective rather than God's perspective in you. So check yourself. Do you have your perspective or God's perspective about the works of the flesh? Then secondly, avoid them. Part of crucifying your flesh is avoiding them. I heard of a guy who just said, I cannot go to Kansas City. If I go to Kansas City, I will live with my flesh and its desires ruling. So I am not gonna go to Kansas City. And maybe you can go to Kansas City and be fine, but that's a good example of us crucifying the flesh. Where can you not go? What should you not do? When should you not do it? so that you don't live under the power of your flesh, but rather submit to God. And then third, when it does come up, when those desires come up and you're tempted, get in touch with someone, you know? Be honest and open about your sin. I don't know anyone in here that's not, that doesn't struggle with sin, get in touch with someone. And do you remember that game Whack-A-Mole at the arcade? When those things, those little things, whatever those things are, I guess they're moles, but whenever they come up, you take the hammer and you hit them. Yeah. And whenever your fleshly desires come up, if you know that they're not from God and then you know it's leading you down a path, hit it. Destroy it. Because the Spirit desires what, the opposite of what our flesh does. The Spirit really wants to work the character of God in you. The Spirit is trying to make you more like Jesus Christ and calling you to cooperate with him as he does that. Verse 22 and 23 tell us how. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all these are really growing together in you if the spirit of God is in you. God through his spirit is growing love in you. That that self-giving, self-sacrificing, denial of selfishness can give yourself to others. Joy, that deep inner sense of delight, even though your circumstances around you can be robbing you of happiness. Peace, that deep Sense of settledness because your relationship with God has had a permanent status change because of Jesus. Patience. A certainty that if God saved you, he is in control and even though you're walking through life circumstances not at the pace or speed you want to, you have this sense of patience because you know that God is in control and you know that he's good and you know that he's for you. Kindness and goodness, that willingness to see things from another person's perspective, to get in their shoes for a moment and meet them where they are, to do something that doesn't benefit yourself but benefits them where they are. Kindness and goodness and then faithfulness, which is simply following through with God and others. In other words, if you say you'll do something and then FOMO kicks in, fear of missing out on something else, you say no to the fear of missing out and you say yes to what you committed to do. The Spirit wants to work faithfulness and gentleness. Gentleness isn't weakness, but it's quiet strength. If you read through the Gospels, everything that Jesus does is gentle. It's bold, but it's always with gentleness and concern for the other person. And then self control, which is simply saying no to your fleshly desires. Now, now these are not a list of virtues for you to check off. If you just read that and said, I got to be more loving, I got to be more kind, I got to be more gentle, you missed it. You cannot produce these things by your own willpower. You need the spirit of God in you to do it. And the good news is he's committed to do it in you, all these things. You might naturally have an inclination towards one of these things or two of these things, but his goal for you is to grow all of these things in you. And the truth is if you rely on your own power to do it, you'll just move the mess around in your life. You'll miss it. When we first got married, Virginia asked me to clean a room and uh, she went out and came back and literally, I just moved the dust from one side of the room to the other side of the room. And I was like, look, it's amazing. This is so clean. And she walked in and she's like, turn around. You just move the stuff to the other side of the room. And I think when we, we look at this and we go, we can just be more loving or be more patient, we miss it. Because God doesn't want us to just focus on one thing and then miss something else. Rather, God wants to grow all these things in us by the power of his spirit's presence in us. Because these are the fruits, the fruit of the spirit of Jesus. The Bible calls the spirit, the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus tells us that he'll be with us always until the end of the age. And that's through the presence of the third person of the Trinity, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God living in us. And so as we look at these things, it's not just virtues to put on. This is how Jesus has treated us. In Jesus' love, he gave of himself for you, a sinner, so that you wouldn't have to die an eternal death. Rather, he took the punishment from you because of love. and joy, he delights over you. Even though you're a broken sinner, Jesus loves you and has great joy over you. He's the reason that you have peace with God. And though you're growing much slower than you think you should, he's incredibly patient with you and kind and good. And though your faithfulness to him goes up and down, his faithfulness to you never changes. 100%, 100% of the time. and he's gentle with you. And just as he had self-control in the garden to follow the Father's will, that self-control was for you. So rather than disobeying the Father, he obeyed the Father and went to the cross for you. These things aren't just things that we produce in us, they're things that grow in us by the Spirit's power in us as we see what Jesus has done for us. Verse 25 says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, follow the Spirit's leading, walk in the Spirit's power. Well, how do you do that? Corey Tenboom said that your relationship with the Holy Spirit is like that of a glove and a hand. The glove is you. And as a glove, you can't do anything but just lay there. All you can do is open up. And the hand comes in and brings life to the glove. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit wants to come in and bring the spiritual life of God into you. And so the question for you is, is, are you open? Like, have you actually prayed, God, are there things in me that the Spirit wants to show me that aren't like Jesus, that are really just me following my flesh? Are there things that you want to show me and how to become more like Jesus Christ. Are you open? Are you open to the spirit? Because he'll bring conviction in your life. For a long time I was confused in the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction says that's no good for you. Condemnation says you're no good. Do you catch the difference? The Spirit's not about condemnation and shame. He's about conviction in order that you might see something differently and then do something differently because that's no good for you as a child of God. And what that means is just because the Holy Spirit is pressing into your brokenness doesn't mean he's leading you into shame. Rather, he's pressing into your brokenness, he's pressing into your fleshly desires to bring conviction because he wants to bring you to freedom. How different is that than the culture? Our culture exposes in order to put people out. You're wrong, you're done. The Spirit's exposing and convicting because you're part of God's family. That means you're in. He's not there to condemn you and shame you. He's there to convict you of what's from your flesh and what's from God and say, it's not that you're no good, that's no good for you. If you've watched any boxing movies or, or, or boxing matches, you know what a corner man is. If you're in the boxing ring, the corner man is the guy who's right outside your corner and the whole time he's cheering you on and yelling for you. Hit him again, dodge, duck, look out, don't quit. And that's kind of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. He's not against you. He's for you. Sometimes there's an intensity to it in your own life, but he's always there to cheer you on because he wants you to win. He wants you to have victory by saying no to the flesh and yes to the things of God. The other night, uh, I was in the living room and I was about to send this text that I thought would be kind of funny to another pastor, no one in the room, and there was this sense in me, it wasn't audible, it was just this conviction that said, don't send that text, that's divisive. And my immediate response was, is it divisive? Well, if you look at it from this perspective, it's actually pretty true. And it wouldn't be wrong to send it because it would be true. That was my flesh talking. And then that deep weight just brought me back over here and said, No, do not send that text. It would be wrong to send it. So I didn't send the text, but I wanted to. The desires of my flesh. Pastor John, you're a sinner. Yes, I'm a sinner. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in me to guide me, to empower me, to, to remind me, that to say no to these things so I can say yes to God. And the Holy Spirit's always beyond, he always wants to get deeper than the, the curated image that we put out for other people. He's, he's not fooled by our filters. He wants to bring deep freedom and he wants to get into everything that is against the desires of God big sins, medium sins, small sins, whatever it is, he wants to get in there because he wants freedom for you. He's your corner man. If you drive around our neighborhood, you'll see tents over houses. And the reasons that the tents are over the house is because people have termites and that's like a big problem. And so whenever anyone gets termites, they're like, I can't deal with this on myself. By myself, I need someone else to step in. And then occasionally, if you drive around houses, you'll see these black boxes outside houses, and those are rodent traps, right? And sometimes people are like, I don't want mice in my house, so I guess I'll call someone for this. Even though it's not as big of a problem as termites, I'll call someone and get one of those rodent boxes to help. And then there's ants, and everyone's got ants, so it's not that big of a deal. Look, whether it's an invasive problem like termites, whether it's big sins, whether it's you see it as not that big of a sin like rodents or something that everyone deals with, the Holy Spirit wants to get in and help you exterminate everything. He doesn't charge anything either. He wants to come in and release his power in your life and his conviction in your life for free because all spiritual pests bring bondage. But the Holy Spirit wants to bring freedom. And the reality is you cannot do it on your own. You need his help. You're not as strong as you think you are. Dr. Lauren Nordgren ran an experiment among college students where he put them in tempting situations where they could could smoke or they could eat junk food or they could say no to studying in order to just do what they wanted to do. And what he found out was most college students overestimate their ability to say no. It's called restraint bias. Meaning, I'm not gonna struggle with that. The funny thing was, the more confident the student was that he could say no, they found the more likely that he would actually say yes to the temptation. Desire hits and you're weak. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you to help you see things from God's perspective and bring conviction so that you can avoid it and let him exterminate it in your life. Keep in step with the Spirit. Allow him to help you crucify the work of the flesh, keep in step with the spirit. Let let him point you to Jesus and what he's done for you. Let him remind you of your identity. Paul has earlier said that the, the spirit works in us to help us see that we are children of God. And see the way desire works isn't just that you say no, no, no. The way desire works in the human heart is that we have to find something more beautiful. We have to find something more lovely. We have to find something that our heart desires more. So that as we see the opportunity to be selfish, we look at Jesus who was selfless for us. As we want to react in anger, we remember Jesus' kindness to us. And as we want to do things that are immoral, We remember that Jesus faithfully went to the cross on our behalf. It's not just about saying no to what we want, it's about changing what we want. And that only happens as we see the beauty of Jesus for sinners like you and me. Henry Nouwen said it this way, I cannot continuously say no to this or no to that unless there is something 10 times more attractive to choose Saying no to my lust and my greed and my needs and the world's powers takes an enormous amount of energy. The only hope is to find something so obviously real and attractive that I can devote all my energies to saying yes. One such thing I can say yes to is when I come in touch with the fact that I am loved. Once I have found that in my total brokenness, I am still loved. I become free from compulsion. Once I see the beauty of Christ who gave himself for me, I can say no to the things that my heart desires. It's not that you stop desiring, you stop wanting, you stop longing. But as the Spirit shows you what Jesus has done for you, nothing compares to him. And that changes your desires completely. Amen. I want to ask you now just to close your, 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 your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to ask you, uh, as your all eyes are closed, uh, are you seeing the power of the Spirit in your life? Is there, is there a place in your life where you know that you should be saying no, but you're actually saying yes, Uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, just raise your hand and say, I need the Spirit's help in my life, amen. He's here to help you. In your mind now, name that sin what it is. Name it what it is. That's the Spirit's work in you. He's not there to condemn you. He's there to convict you in order to bring freedom. You can go ahead and put your hands down. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward as I pray. I'll be in the back if you wanna receive prayer. There is no shame, only the love of God that's bringing freedom from our sin. If you wanna come and receive prayer, I'd invite you to the back. But let me pray now and then we'll worship and you can respond in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that we experience as as the children of God. No longer having to hide our brokenness and sin, but rather freed by the gospel to admit it to you. Thank you. We believe your love for us, and we ask that you would free us. For those that were so bold to raise their hand, Lord, help them to see their sin from your perspective, both that it is not their identity before you, but it all is also not the fullness that you have for them in the spirit. Its power this week we ask that you would help them be free from that sin and continually say no to it and say yes to God as they grow in their longing and desire for Jesus the one who is truly beautiful and all God's people said I'll be in the back to pray would you stand and sing